thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We're equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Pastor Michael Lockstamper, and let me tell you about our weekend. See, God has blessed our church with a fantastic smoker-slash-grill combo and some incredible cooks. So we took a drive Saturday to host a cookout for Hands of Mercy Everywhere, which is a local nonprofit group that seeks to provide a Christian home for teenage mothers. It was so great to serve these young women, their children, and the staff who work with them on a daily basis. I guess we all need to be reminded that God sees us and He loves us. And what better time for these young ladies than on Mother's Day weekend? We gifted them a small mountain of diapers, all of the food we brought, and perhaps most importantly, our time to listen to their stories. I'm humbled and grateful to see how God moved in such a simple act. Praise Him for His loving kindness. Today on the podcast, Pastor Todd McQueen is kicking off a new series we call Stressed. How do we find rest in the midst of all the things that stress us out? Pastor Todd is diving right into the tough stuff with an opening message about our time. Talk about a challenge. Our culture leads us to believe that busyness is a badge of honor. But what does God say? Let's listen in together. Morning, church. I'm really excited this morning for a number of reasons, and um, I'll just say that I'm really excited. Uh, for one, uh, we have a new series starting today, and when we would go through as a leadership team, where do we need to go in the Bible for where the, where is the local body? Where is everybody at? And it was a long time ago that we said, hey, we need to do a series on why life is horrible. Why do we have these stressors? What is that we all deal with stress? How many of you, like uh, this last week, you had a few moments that were highly stressful? Yes. Yes, they happen often to a lot of us. So what we're doing is this series is called Stressed. And you can barely see it, but see the ST? Well, it's right there. And then in the center is rest. So it's little s, little t, and then rest. Because in each stress, there is a moment where we can either rest in Jesus for what he's doing, or we can take on the stress of handling it ourselves. And so today is about time. Next week is about God's time. Next week, is, the week after that, it's about trials and conflicts. Then the week after that is mental health. Then the last one is money. Those are just five easy moments in life where we have stressed, lost hair, turned gray hair, or have had massive interaction in life where you're like, mm, God. So what does God say about time and our time? I did some research this week, and I'm really thankful that our federal government pays big money to do research for us by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. This is the average day for someone between 25 and 54 with kids. And I did add them all up to check. That does come to 24 hours. 
because <laughs> it was one of the feds did their math right. But anyhow, so we got 7.8 hours of sleep, which is kind of important. So we got work is 8.8 hours, caring for others, leisure sports, 2.6 hours. So these are the typically what is in a family who has children who are working. Now I know that some of us in the room are retired, but you can easily remember these days. How many of us get to the end of the day and say, where did my time go? You're chasing around three little ones. Where did my time go? Or you get done stuck in traffic and you're like, where's my time? Traffic does that to me, can you tell? Because it's wasting my time. So we have 24 hours to do life in. We're all given the same asset and we spend it every day and it's our most expensive asset. And as we start this series, I would encourage each one of you on your way out to pick up the Bible reading guide because we've specifically designed the reading guide for the same verses we're going to preach. Every day in, this, in the week, you have verses to read and questions to answer and all on you. I mean, between you and God. Then you can come with that prepared for Sunday because I will go over those exact verses on Sunday for each one of those five major stressors. So today is about time and our time. And you got to be asking me, Pastor Todd, I know, well, you may not be busy because you're a pastor and we pay you to do that stuff, which I've heard that said. But I also know what it's like to work plus 40 hours a week at a job where the employer doesn't care except punch in, do your eight and hit the gate. I own you for eight hours a day. I'm purchasing that time. Whether it's $10 an hour or $25 an hour, wherever you're at, your employer purchases your time. Then you got your wife or your spouse that's purchased once time. You got your kids. So you look at this chart, and this is where typically people spend their time. And we only get 24 hours, and you're like, where am I supposed to fit the God stuff in that? Where am I supposed to read my Bible in that time? This is a tough question. But this morning we're going to see serving Jesus in every changing season of your life. Serve Jesus in the 24 in total. And we'll see this morning that regardless of wherever you are, you're in a season of life. So turn with me, if you will, to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes, if you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hand and I'll bring one. If you want one, take home. So Ecclesiastes, just go right to the center and you got Psalms. Then go to the right, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. And from those from the 60s and 70s, I'm trying to remember when this song came out, you might recognize these lyrics. Is everybody there? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. For, ev for everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. 
A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time of peace. For everything under the sun, there's an appointed season. Everything under the sun, there's a time for that. Life is busy. Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, knows this. And he knows well that we have to use our time. And there's a time for everything. In the busyness of our jam-packed calendars, in our hectic lives, there's an appointed time for baby births and baby showers. And there's a realization that people age. And there's a time for death. There's a proper time for high expectations that when you're planting, then there's a realization of working toward how that harvest will come out when we reap. There's a point in time to call to arms. And there's a realization when there's times we have to work toward tender healing. So there's a season of tearing down and a realization there's a time to remodel and build anew. There's seasons of life that hurt and a realization there's times to celebrate. There's times for chasing people in love, and there's a realization that people will not love us back. There's a world of difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. There's time to love by expecting nothing in return, and there's a realization that people can reject that entirely. Solomon, the wisest guy on earth, wrote these, let, these lyrics. There's a time for everything. And when we wrap up all of those seasons, the older we get, the more of these seasons we go through. The more cycles, the more times we go from laughter to joy, back to pain, to sorrow, back to love and joy. And we know these seasons of life come and go. The more times we go through that, we're given an opportunity to be wise or an opportunity to play the fool. Because the more times you go through the seasons, the more times you supply God's word as you go through it. Wisdom and serving Jesus is the sum of these cycles, not how old you are. What is a fool but somebody who goes through the same scenario over and over again, expecting the same results and doesn't change themselves, doesn't work with God on changing it. We go through these cycles, these seasons, these appointed times, as Solomon has pointed out, and we apply God's word through it. We all do the same thing. we got 24 hours. Some of us get up at different times and work at different times, but your day has a cycle. Your week has a cycle. Your life is a result of the sum of those cycles. And how did you apply God's word and the use of your time through those cycles? Some of us can get to where we have gray hair and notice people who are no better off than when they were 20. And we will see today when God's word, we look at widow who has spent her time well, and Paul says, that is a quality woman because she has used these cycles. The sum of our time is reflective of how God has asked us to use our time. How did we apply it? Now move with me this morning to 2 Thessalonians. We'll go to the back and toward the back of your Bible. If you have one of our Bibles this morning, the Story Bible, it's on page 827. 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. It's on page 827. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse, chapter 3, verse 1 says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And, he will, we, and we have confidence in the Lord about you and that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we work night and day, that we may not be a burden to any of you. It is not because we didn't have the right, but that you... But that, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Whoa. Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonians, Thessalonica and says, first off, I'm praying for you. The second off will be a harsh command. Let's look at the prayer first. Pray. Pray that God is the authority to assign value to your time. At the end of this letter, Paul prays for the harvest of his hard work. Do you see what Paul's saying? I was with you for a long time. We worked hard together, and I'm praying that there will be a harvest for it. He is not afraid of work, and he knows he has invested T-I-M-E with them. Value that time. Pray for that time. Because he knows that there's a time, like Solomon said, to plant and to harvest. He's in the planting mode. He's praying for the harvest, the harvest of the spiritual souls of people. But let's look at this prayer even closer. Pray that the God's truth will be communicated. The Holy Spirit will speed ahead and make impact on people's lives. Pray that our past will not be thwarted by the attacks of the enemy, evil people or contentious anti-God people. Pray that the faithful use of our time will fulfill Jesus' commands. And what are some of those off quickly? Love one another, make disciples, and teach. Just a few, three ones that Jesus gave real specifically. So Paul's praying, hey, I've invested a ton of time with you. Make sure you spend your time praying for what will be of this harvest. And that harvest is some God work, but you're incredibly involved with it too. Use your time to fulfill what Jesus has asked you to do in every season, in every segment of that pie chart except sleep. When you rest. Then the harsh command, stay away from the lazy spiritual bums. Friends, this is hard this morning. And Pastor Michael said, hey, well, this is a hard one to read. Yeah, that's a hard one to preach too. Because he's writing to believers, people who have chosen to follow Jesus. And he said, hey, there's a spiritual lazy bum around you that doesn't want to fulfill what Jesus says, then stay away from him. 
We don't like to hear that. We, we ain't got no problem with this verse when it comes to welfare, wick, or whatever, and says, if you don't work, you don't get to eat. We'd love to stamp our approval on that one. But if we're spiritually lazy, we're like, no, just stay with them. They'll come along. Paul's like, no, you've got to get busy doing the work. Join arms, lock arms with those who are working hard to the spiritual harvest. If they're spiritually lazy and they just want to sit back, sit in their spiritual diapers and say, please change me. There's enough time, enough seasons have gone through, whether they're 20 years old, 50 years old, or 70 years old, and don't want to do anything spiritual work, Paul says, stay away from the spiritually lazy bums. He said it, not me. So if you're offended this morning, are you spiritually lazy? And you want somebody to crack the whip and say, hey, get moving. And I love doing that. I would rather say, hey, come on, let's get in, join arms with us, let's get going. But at a certain point, if you don't want to work spiritually, the leadership has to take time investment account, don't we? No, they're just going to be perpetually spiritually lazy. And Paul has told us, if that's their track record, stay away from them. Because why? They suck your time out of you. The goal is to make disciples who make disciples. These spiritually lazy people are okay with letting the pressures of time slip through their hands because they're not proactive. I'm not saying they're not busy people. They can be incredibly busy people. But they've allowed all the pressures of life, all the segments of those pie charts to force everything and make it reactive to where I don't have any time for God because look how busy I am over here. The wisdom is how can I be busy for God in all segments of life, in all seasons of life, and so I'm using all of those opportunities for Jesus. The lazy person is not necessarily who doesn't work, but somebody cares less to be proactive. Spiritual maturity is proactive, not reactive. A lot of times we have to react to things. But what Paul is saying, be proactive in the use of your time so in all segments you can use those for the benefit of the cause which Jesus has called you to in whatever season you're in. The final exam of the use of our time is found in how we spend it with people. And where do we get to spend time with people? Just about every one of those segments. So let's move to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, page 831. 1 Timothy, just, if you're in Thessalonians, just flip over. It's the next book. Move to chapter 4. where we talked about the spiritually immature, Paul is writing to young Pastor Tim, and here's his words, as an older pastor to a younger pastor. And he has something to say about the use of time here, too. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. Now, the, the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciousness are seared. 
who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of, the Jesus, of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with the irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deser deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. While 2 Thessalonians was about the spiritually immature, this segment, this time in Paul's writing to Timothy, is about the covert anti-God spiritual people who are incredibly professional, incredibly well-skilled at smoking your time. Paul is writing to a pastor. He's a young guy. Hey, don't spend your, all your time arguing with everybody who wants a spiritual argument. If God's enemy can get you distracted from the main purpose by arguing about secondary purposes, he's effectively derailed you. And Paul's writing to this young pastor and says, stay focused, stay on what I've told you. What are these spiritual anti-God people like? These are the people who spend all their time advocating these good spiritual principles. They sound really good, but they're not based out of God's word. I can give you example after example of discussions we have had with people who love to talk about whether this could be or what that could be. And you could, I don't mind answering hard questions. I really don't. But if I spend the majority of my time debating what isn't in God's word instead of teaching what is in God's word, I have failed. Do you understand? What is so hard about this is having the wisdom of knowing when you develop the relational equity, get to know somebody where they're from well enough to be able to transcend, transfer that to a truth conversation. I'll listen to you talk about aliens long enough until I can get you to think about what God says about this, Jesus and the cross. I will talk to you about the chakra waka waka, about this fearless floater over the jewels or whatever long enough so I can get you to Jesus and the cross. I will talk to you about a hemi with a blower long enough to transfer the discussion, what about Jesus and the cross? Do you see where I'm going? Guys, we're really good at talking about everything that doesn't matter instead of what does. Ladies, I don't know what your conversation's like, but let me just make one up and don't shoot me. We can talk forever about the best face cream, the way you dye your hair, and the way you get your nails done, just enough to be able to talk about Jesus and the cross. Because don't walk up and say, hey, that guy really loves Hemis. Hey, you like Hemis? Yeah. Jesus in the cross. <laughs> no. But the wisdom of transferring that over, the well use of your time, 
Because what will happen is the enemy will want to derail you talking about other stuff, whether it's spiritual, sounds good, long enough to derail you from talking about the main thing. So here Paul is going to give more information to the young pastor. Make sure you mention this in church, he says. You would be well to teach this. So I am. Be a servant of Jesus and address this issue. I am. Train people in the truth. Train people in the Bible. Train people in Scripture. Train people that following Jesus is not only knowing truth, but it coming out your hands and feet. Not just knowing, but doing. Hey, Tim, don't get messed up in silly debates. Now, I don't know much about Timothy, but one thing we know is Paul mentions this. So Timothy must have loved to be on the debate team. Stay focused. Let me give you one quick example of how I try to stay focused. I have been asked over and over again about what do I believe about marriage with this, with that, and I always answer it the same way. Here's how I define marriage. Husband and wife. What do you think about this and that? I come back to the truth. I'd rather be known for what I'm for than what I'm against. We can spend a ton of our time being known for what, known for what we're against. I want to be known what I'm for and what God is for. There's a huge world of difference. We don't need more people on Facebook or Faceplant, whatever you want to call it, saying, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. We need more people to transferring relational equity and talking about hemis or hair care products about Jesus and the cross so that they can teach truth to people. That they can spend their time declaring truth and not debating what is false. Does that give me some nods ahead to see if I need to revisit this? Do you get it? Okay, good. I like this one too. He says, Paul says to Timothy, hey, you need to take care of your physical body. And I'm trying that. That's how I met Frank. I was out mountain biking, and it takes a lot of work. And Mr. Robbie's a little sore from trying doing this verse appropriately. First off, Paul does not say, Paul says, take care of your body. Be in shape. But it's not the most important thing. Because spiritual discipline of godliness lasts, it has benefit now and into heaven. What is godliness? Godliness is chasing after Jesus so it comes out in your actions and your mouth. You've worked hard on it. It's your deepest beliefs coming out in your actions. This has value in this life and in the life to come. So if you want to invest in a spiritual 401k that you get eternal dividends on, godliness is one of them. There are dividends for that practice because we all know that physical working out is good for us, but eventually the body falls apart. But spiritual discipline of godliness has rewards now and for eternity. Now here's what Paul ends up with. Hey, we've worked really, really hard together, Tim. Herald this truth. Declare this truth with extreme labor, he says. It's like exhaustive fatigue. You are active in your local church teaching this, evidencing this to the people. Now, here's the hard part. 
reprimand untruth with the same vigor. We tend to put more energy in the reprimanding untruth. That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Okay? But also spend your time, every segment on that wheel, every time and every season that God has appointed to you to be in, whether you have little kids, big kids, no kids, you're retired, you're getting ready to do this, that, whatever season you're in, is the vocal point, focus of your energy is the extreme hard labor of what God has called you to do. And what are those? Making disciples who make disciples. Loving one another. Teaching the word and truth. Let's get some case studies. It's right here in Timothy again. Flip to the other, page, other side of the page, page 831. Move to 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 16. Case study. Two examples. 1 Timothy 5, starting in verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. The other example, starting in verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have the younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them, that the church not be burdened, so that they care for those who are truly widows. So Paul is continuing his letter to young Pastor Tim. And here's a, how do you invest your time with widows in the church? Now we all agree, should we take care of widows? God is really, really specific about this. Yes, come on. Should we take care of widows? Yes, and why was it so important at this time that you take care of widows? A widowed woman had no way of being taken care of. The church started the insurance program. How do we take care of those who gave to her, uh, been able to take care of her, right? So, this in this example, Paul's going to say the woman who used her time well, and how do we know it? And a woman who doesn't use her time well, and how will we know it? Let's look at the positives first. She's an older woman. Why does she have to be older? Because you watched her go through these cycles. You watched her do life. You've watched her do the Ecclesiastes 3 thing. You've seen her burn, burn, bear babies <laughs> and go to funerals. You've seen her, you've watched her take care of somebody in the home, and then you watched who was in her home go to be an adult. So you've watched, the, watched her go through these. She's had to have time on her resume to prove this. She's been a one woman, one man woman. Listen to me well. Paul uses this phrase otherwise, this in other verses about men being qualified for leadership because they're a one woman man. 
Paul turns the phrase around. This is a woman who, I'm not debating at this time whether marriage and divorce, but let's just say she's been married. She's been married for a while and her laser beam focus is on that one guy. She ain't messing around with no others. When you say, who are they married to? There's no doubt, boom, that one. And over time, through all the seasons of all of his dumbness, of all of his niceness, of all of what guys do for women, and we celebrate coming up on Mother's Day, she is still with that one guy. And everybody says, good job, girl. And then she, he dies, and she's left without a husband. But through her seasons, through all of that, her focus was on that one guy. As we look at these seasons, she did it publicly. Her resume of character has been co-signed by what she did in public. How she dealt with her family. How she treated strangers. How she used her home to be an oasis. Or did she kind of set up the barbed wire fence of this is my home and my home only and you all stay out. How she developed her spiritual gifts in a local church. How did God use her in the local church? Was she involved in the local church? How did she treat the suffering? And the sum of her years is not just the test. He says she has to be older because we need evidence. What is Paul saying? Just because you got gray hair doesn't make you qualify for being a good woman. What's the qualification? What did you do for Jesus in every segment of life? Because I know you're busy. And he just gives a few examples where a godly woman is using every one of those segments of life for the purpose of serving Jesus. She did it privately with her husband. She did it publicly so that everybody could see it over time. And she served in the local church. What is Paul saying to young Tim? If you're going to spend time taking care of a widow, look in the local body. She is going to define whether or not this is a widow you need to take care of, not you. In case you're missing it, he's going to say, hey, there's also an example of a woman who wastes her time. She's all about the scene. She's on tender. Do you know younger widowed women who want to be remarried so bad that they worship at the idol of whatever brings that to them? They're in love with the idea of being in love and being married again. Have we ever met anyone like that? We have. Okay. So they're all about that scene. They're worshiping the idol of I need an identity by being married. And also their character is assigned by gossiping. Gossiping, sharing something. You and I share something about her that doesn't help her in the least bit, but it sure makes a good story for you and I. That's gossip. We can take truth and easily make it gossip. Because what does she do? She goes around then, she, since she doesn't have a home, she goes to other people's homes and gets to talking. And she is a professional busybody. We know the, I work for the state of Ohio. I was a trained busybody. They didn't care what you got done as long as you did eight hours of work. So just look busy. 
We know people at work that are really good at looking busy and have zero productivity. Yeah. Do we know ladies who can look like they're busy and actually get nothing done? And every season of life, in these particular seasons of life that she's in, she's really good at looking like she's busy, but isn't getting anything done. So what's the answer to this? Titus 2. We don't have time to go there now, but Titus 2 says, older woman, woman number one, who should she now be spending her time with? Woman number two, girl, I know what it's like to be married. And by the way, Paul says, hey, you know what? If you're all about the scene, go ahead and get married so you can get back to the task of doing what, I've asked, what God's asked you to do. But the answer to this dilemma of how we got to person, lady, widow, number one, is because somebody trained her. She did not wake up one morning at 45 years of age and say, wow, I've got this figured out how to become a good widow at 60. Another woman came along, Titus 2, and says, hey, I would like to walk through this with you, what season, particular season you're in, and I want to train you here. If it's a... Oh, if there were anything in Grace Church of Acala where our bank accounts are low is the quality of older women who come to us and say, I want to spend time with young women. Because I don't want to do it. I know nothing about birthing babies. I do not know what it's like to be in a room with women gossiping and telling us just, because that cattiness, I've worked in that environment for just a short amount of time. It was like, ah, intimidating. But a strong, spiritual, mature woman who has been through these cycles that says, I want to give up my time to train somebody younger. That's the answer to the dilemma. So the, in, in closing, move to Colossians. Move back to the left. Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Colossians 3, starting in verse 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion and hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And, when, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in everything we choose to do, in everything, in every segment of life, in every particular session, in every particular season, in every appointed time, followers of Jesus Christ have been chosen by God to do his work and to spend time on his declared mission. So think of it this way. Weaving all of the use, of, weaving into every use of your time, interacting with people for God's glory, for what God's asked you to do. 
And what does the weaving look like? You have a compassionate time. You have a kind time. You're warm-hearted and you're gentle. You're able to sympathize with other people's struggles. Your your meekness, your your patience time. You, You have time when you're bearing with one another. And as you get to know people, there are times when, man, you gotta really bear with people. And there's time to forgive. As you're weaving all these attributes through that time with people, this is when Paul says, do this, do this. Be bearing with one another. Forgive one another and love one another. Put it on as a jacket. Because in each one of these seasons, the only way you're going to be able to apply this is from the deep reservoir of the time spent in God's word. Because you know this to be true. You're riding down the mountain bike trail this week and somebody says, hey, what does, how should I, my wife said this. And you're like, wait a second, let me go back to the car, get my Bible. Oh, yeah. Paul says, you know, drink water from your own cistern. Stay with your own wife. No, the dude on the mountain bike or the lady on the mountain bike ain't waiting for you to get back to the car. It's because you spend time with God's word. And you say, hey, God wants you to spend all your energy with your spouse. Love that spouse. Forgive that spouse. Because you spent time in God's word about spousing. And by the way, there's a lot in there about spousing. And many guys are going to ask, how do I do this spousing thing? I'm married to somebody I don't understand. We all go, yes, amen. Ladies, when you're out at the shop, when you're out at the work, when you're wherever God has you, and whoever's interacting with you and asks you a question, oh, wait a second, I gotta Google that. No, they want you to relate because what you, how you apply God's word to your heart and your life will resonate with authenticity to them. Because first, you've applied it and used it. It's a deep well from which to draw from that experience. And the more seasons you go through, the wiser you get in applying this. I can't believe, it, just, it is so amazing to me to spend time with pastors who have been doing it for 30 years, have applied this. When I call them and I ask them a hard question, they're like, you can just see them reach into the well. Give me scripture that they have applied through experience and tears, scars, and they say, here, Todd. And I just want to feast in that moment. Because I want to be that guy who wants to learn beforehand instead of getting the scars. Friends, when people ask you about life, when you're interacting with life in each one of these segments, where is your reservoir? And it's not because you click like on Facebook because somebody posted something. At all times. Verse 17, and whatever you do, and whatever you do, whatever season, wherever you are, allow your words and deeds to further the great name or reputation of Jesus. It's our purpose. Whatever you do, and whatever segment of time, serve Jesus in every changing season. See the chart? And whatever you do, serve Jesus for what he has called you to do. Make disciples who love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. 
in every season. It's like you take this chart and you overlay it with the idea of serving Jesus. What I'm asking this morning is not to create another pie chart. Get this loud and clear. What I'm asking you to overlay your current pie chart in the natural sequence of whatever season you're in, apply Jesus' living and what he wants you to do in that. It's laying over it. Now the cool part, what about sleeping? Right, I thought the same thing too, Frank. Who gets seven point hours sleep? Rest. We all gotta rest, right? God's going to talk to us tomorrow about that, more about that next Sunday. Because if you do not rest, you're not doing the rest. And rest means you can't. So in all of this, except for the rest, lay on that the idea that whether I'm, whatever I'm doing, I will do for Jesus for his purpose, for making disciples, by loving one another as Christ has asked us to. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and his word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our newly renovated home on the web, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.